coming up on Stu Does America. I have seen some pretty nasty deep fakes where very famous people do very naughty things. Now someone has actually made a deep fake of me. It's disturbing, but thankfully G-rated. Who knows what's coming up next, though. I'm very nervous about it. Probably my fault for naming this show what I did. We'll show it to you anyway. That's coming up. Plus, did you think Karl Marx was bad before? How about we throw in a little Satan and extreme racism? Paul Kengor's new book is about precisely that. We'll speak to him about it. Hello, all you beautiful podcast listeners. Thanks for making the show a success. Can you keep you know, supporting us by rating us five stars and leaving positive reviews? I mean, do you mind something simple like it's great, whatever? YouTube viewers, we've been getting great numbers recently as well. All thanks to you subscribing and commenting on our videos. Don't forget to hit the little bell to get all of our updates. And be sure to click on uh, like on all of the episodes, even this one right now. Do it before you forget or I say something that pisses you off. And finally, since Glenn Beck survived the coronavirus, why not consider a subscription to Blaze TV to get all of our excellent content in one convenient place? Just head to blazetv.com slash stew and be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. I'm willing to place a bet that the majority of people were just watching Joe's DNC speech last night to see how much he would drool on the microphone and didn't catch any of the actual words he said. Not us. We had an intern listen to what he was actually saying while I was watching for the drool. So let's forget the media worship for just a second and do the actual words of Joe Biden. Stu does America. What an incredible night. What an incredible week. What a piece of crap year. Last night, Joe Biden, the 173-year-old great-grandfather of the second oldest person on earth, accepted the nomination for the Democratic Party. After near a half a century of government service, Joe Biden stood in front of a bunch of flags and made a speech. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't fall over. He didn't stumble over every sentence. This was enough to completely knock the socks off the media. I mean, some of these are kind of stalkery and obsessive. But let's not lose perspective here. The guy gave a speech that in any other time with any other candidate would have been considered fine. I mean, it was fine. He was okay, not terrible, I guess. The issue is the bar is so incredibly low that he was able to clear it. You know those YouTube videos where the kid who has been the ball boy all year gets inserted into the last minute of a high school basketball game with his team up by like 47 points, and then he banks in a wide-open three-pointer? That's what this felt like. It was kind of heartwarming to see it happen, but I don't want him taking a big shot in the playoffs for my favorite NBA franchise just yet. Let's keep this in perspective here. He read a teleprompter for 20 minutes in a quiet room. I'm glad he can still do that, but I don't know if it qualifies him to run the free world. I think people were legitimately bowled over by the fact that he could still read out loud. What does that say about the guy? Everyone else has been focusing on the fact that he can still occasionally speak in complete sentences, but no one is focusing on what he actually said. First of all, there was no actual content in the speech. He barely described any proposals or plans or actions that he would implement as president. And that's intentional. This is an election about Donald Trump. Do the people want more Donald Trump or no more Donald Trump? That's almost definitely what is going to decide this thing. 
The only exception to that is if Biden comes off as so incompetent that the American people are terrified by his ability to keep it together. Politically, this is a tough line to walk. To successfully define your opponent, you need a couple of things to happen. One, you have to set the table. And two, you need a confirming event. This is what happened with Hillary Clinton. There was a long and extended effort by Republicans to paint her correctly, in my view, as massively corrupt, highlighting her long record of shady activity, calling her crooked Hillary, et cetera, et cetera. You know the drill. But that alone usually is not enough. It was the FBI investigation launched a couple weeks before the election that codified that identity. There are plenty of people who are uncomfortable with her corruption, but might have talked themselves into voting for her. But when they got that last minute confirming event, it pushed them over the edge. You could argue that there was some of that with Hillary's health as well. There was all this talk about her supposed health problems without that much evidence. But when there was hidden video of her inexplicably falling over as she was getting into a van, it sort of codified that narrative. Oh, man, you remember this? This was a this was not a great, not a great moment. It really it, looking back at that, that kind of looks like a it looked like weekend at Bernie's. They were just like loading her into the car with Biden. Everyone has seen his slip office. Everyone's seen all that. Everyone, every Democrat knows he's vulnerable to the narrative that he's lost a step or many more. The question is, will there be a confirmative event that convinces people that Biden is just not OK? Is he too risky for the presidency? Well, last night, Joe cleared the lowest of hurdles. He didn't provide that event. He, he did his job. He wasn't spectacular. It wasn't the greatest speech in history. But it did avoid the sort of cataclysmic failure that everyone knows could occur at any moment with Joe Biden. Because of that, I guess it was a good night for the Democrats. But there are still three debates to go and endless TV appearances and speeches where Biden can screw this up. And throughout his career, that's kind of what he is known for, really. There is one danger politically on this approach that I've been talking about for a while. It's one thing for us to, you know, I'm talking about us morons, you know, the stupid talk show hosts out there. We're going to point out the obvious. We're not strategic. We're just going to say what we see. Joe Biden is clearly slipping. I'm not saying that we should stop saying that by any means. I mean, you know, I've got a stewdoesmerch.com. You can go there. You can see a shirt uh, that you could buy right now that has a picture of Joe Biden and the slogan, senility now. I, I do think people really do need to think about whether this guy can do the job. And who is going to call it out? Who's going to do the job if Joe Biden isn't really doing it and he keeps slipping? Who's the person behind the scenes that's actually going to be running the country? It's going to be kind of interesting to know that. And I think America should be thinking about it. But the problem with the official campaign emphasizing it all the time is that it takes an already low bar for Joe Biden and lowers it further. When you're yelling, you know, and telling people that slow Joe is so far gone that he can't even function, it allows him to wow an audience by just stringing a few coherent sentences together. You don't want to make the hurdle so easy for him to clear that he's able to do it even with crutches. Your job as a campaign is not to make this about Joe Biden. That's near impossible. Trump is way too dominant a personality. Your job is to define Biden just enough to allow for people who can't quite make up their mind to be pushed to your side with a confirming event. That's not easy to do. But the campaign plays it the right way. Well, it can be done. They're not going to get any help from the media, though. They won't even look at the actual words Biden said. We will, though. Next. Who does America? 
Let's talk about censorship on social media sites and what you can do about it. The left wants you to be silenced. They want to remove any voices uh, that they don't agree with. Instead of letting social media sites revoke your right to free speech, how about revoking their right to your data? Consider using ExpressVPN. Free to access sites like Facebook track your searches, video history, and everything you click on, and then they sell your valuable data. That's how they make money. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. It's easy to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer, and you're protected. Because honestly, I, I'm too lazy. I'm not going to take a bunch of steps. ExpressVPN makes it really easy to do this. It also encrypts your uh, data, 100% of it, uh, to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. Say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash stew by visiting my special link. You'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. It's expressvpn.com slash stew. And of course, the slash stew part is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Expressvpn.com slash stew. Expressvpn.com slash stew. Protect your data today. Well, the media was fawning after that big speech yesterday. Everyone was thrilled that Joe showed up. He was able to like stand at the podium for like 20 minutes in a row. Uh, he didn't come out topless. So there's a lot of good things that happened. Um, but people were really excited about the speech, and I feel like it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Uh, here is a, here's one part that kind of set the tone from Joe. Here and now, I give you my word. Mm. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. Oh, good. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. Oh, good. That's much better. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together mm. and make no mistake. Oh. United, we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. <laughs> I was not the only one who noticed this, but, you know, I feel like I have heard this exact spin before. If you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. <laughs> everyone made fun of Marianne Williamson when she was saying these things, uh, but Biden just remixed it and everyone was swooning over it. All right, let's get into the actual content from Joe Biden. And now history has delivered us to one of the most difficult moments America has ever faced. Oh, Okay. Four, four historic four. crises. You want me to take All notes? at the same time. Four. A perfect storm. Perfect storm, okay. The worst pandemic in over 100 years. Pandemic. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Economic. The most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s. Racial. And the undeniable realities and ex just the accelerating threats of climate change. Ah. Uh, one of these things just doesn't belong. I mean, come on. A couple hundred thousand people are dead from a pandemic. Millions are unemployed. Cities are burning to the ground. And there's been a 0.9 degrees Celsius rise in temperature over the past 100 years. I, I just, I can't, I mean, I guess they have to do this, right? They've been telling us it's the worst danger in the world for so long that they can't really leave it off of a list like this. But please, read Apocalypse Never by Michael Schellenberger. Read False Alarm by Bjorn Lomborg. Get some perspective. All right, next. Just judge this president on the facts. Okay, the facts. Perfect. Five million Americans infected by COVID-19. 
Okay. More than 170,000 Americans have died. Okay. By far the worst performance of any nation on earth. By far, huh? More than 50 million people have filed for unemployment this year. Ooh, uh, I'm glad they included some facts in this speech. Um, it was a very short fact section of the speech, I noticed, though. Unfortunately, it was filled with the opposite of facts. So let's try to go through this. Yes, the number of official infected people in the United States is like 5 million. But we know, and everyone knows, the number of infected people in the U.S. is not 5 million. It is way, way more than that. It's likely more like 30 million people. Um, No, 170,000 deaths is not the right number either. Now, a couple of things going on here. A lot of people like to only look at the way, you know, look at how many people were actually totally fine, got COVID, and died. Well, that number is way, way lower than 170,000. That's not how official deaths are recorded, though. For example, you hear 50,000 are dead from the flu. That doesn't mean 50,000 people are totally fine, they get the flu, and then die. That's not how this works. Usually it means they were kind of screwed up already, and the flu sort of pushed them over the edge. That's the same with COVID. So the important thing to remember, of course, is that this is not abnormal. There are comorbidities in about 70% of deaths in the United States. So with the normal way that deaths are recorded, the total number of COVID deaths is going to be considerably higher than 170,000 when this is all said and done. The more important question, though, is it really, quote, by far the worst performance of any nation on Earth? Absolutely not. It is, is it the best in the world? No. But is it the worst? Not even close. As far as deaths per million, uh, just on the baseline here, we're behind Belgium, Peru, Spain, the UK, Italy, Sweden, and Chile, as well as a few other smaller nations that I'm not including because apparently they're not significant to me. That's right, San Marino. You heard me. But that doesn't capture the whole picture at all. We'll get into the details on that in, in a second. But I want to mention the unemployment claim he made, too. 50 million people filing for unemployment. It's been a widely reported number, but it is totally misleading. It's like telling someone that 20 people went into a bathroom. So you open up, expect it to be really crowded, right? Well, no, when you open up the door, nobody's in there. Well, I never said how many people came out. Well, that's kind of an important detail, isn't it? Uh, This is basically what it looks like. NPR has phrased it this way. Employers cut more than 22 million jobs in March and April, and the unemployment rate soared to nearly 15%. Since then, employers have rehired more than 9 million people, or about 42% of the jobs that were lost. So think about it that way. It's an easy way. A little bit less than half so far are back to work. So 50 million is just a ridiculous number. It's like saying only the people that went into the bathroom, not the people that came out. All these people uh, lose their jobs under Biden's policies, though, too. And that's why it's really uh, misleading. Probably more people lose their job under Biden because he's doing nationwide shutdowns of everything. Um, I guess they're arguing that maybe some of these people would have come back earlier because under Biden, magically, of course, COVID would have gone away completely. I'm doubtful of that claim, especially in a country this size. But either way, the initial claim he's making there is totally misleading. Next. As president, the first step I will take will be to get control of the virus that has ruined so many lives. Ah. Because I understand something this president hasn't from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We will never get our economy back on track. Uh-oh. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. Uh-oh. We'll never have our lives back oh, no. until we deal with this virus. Oh, okay. The tragedy of where we are today is it didn't have to be this bad. Just look around. 
Okay. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe or Japan or almost anywhere else in the world. <laughs> wow. It's weird he would mention Canada, but not the other country that borders us. Of course, that's because Mexico is in much, much worse shape than us. Let's look at a couple of graphs here. This is, uh, of course, it's Graphapalooza. Conserva nerds unite. Uh, U.S. deaths are up by about 20 percent uh, for the year, which is a lot. It's not nothing. Uh, but just look at March through June. Total deaths in Mexico are up 91 percent, four or five times as bad as we've had it. Um, now, we can look at this, too. The positive rate of tests in Mexico. This is an insane chart. They do not have this under control at all in Mexico. Obviously, it starts out nice and flat. It rises and rises and rises and has had no downturn yet. 64% of tests in Mexico currently are positive. That's partially because they're not testing a lot enough people. They don't have a lot of tests uh, and they're not able. They're only testing the people that are sick. But that is a that is a picture. This is how you can tell that these countries don't have this under control at all. They have no real picture about how many people are dying. You look at the official death chart from Mexico. It's lower than the United States. In reality, it's much, much worse there. Uh, There are tons of countries where deaths are much higher that don't have tests or reliable data. You think a country like India with a billion people densely packed in cities is actually only third in deaths? Indonesia, all of Africa. I mean, Nigeria has 200 million people in it and hasn't conducted a half million tests yet. Now, one of the things people, he pointed out Europe specifically, and you see the chart on the screen here now. This is from Lyman Stone, by the way. A great follow if you, if you care about this stuff. Um, Lyman Stone KY on Twitter. Um, he puts these graphs together, and, and this is looking at not just the United States versus one country in Europe, but looking at all of Europe, all the data that we have in Europe, and this is what it looks like right now. Um, the U.S. has slightly higher deaths percentage-wise than the rest of Europe combined, and that really we only passed them in, let's say, early July. Uh, so really, when you look at it as a whole, we had a lower peak than Europe. Uh, We have a slightly higher deaths now than Europe, but you see the yellow line on this chart to describe it for the podcast listeners. Uh, For for Latin America, it's much, much worse than it is here so far. Um, You know, he's again, some of this data is incomplete and you can't know, but this is not talking about covid deaths. It's not saying, oh, well, this many people, the government is reporting a diet of covid. It's just all deaths. And for some reason, tons more people are dying than normal. It's not because, uh, you know, everybody's falling out of bed at the same time. These are COVID-related deaths. Has our response been perfect? Well, no, far from it. But has it been the worst in the world? Nowhere close to true. Biden had one other thing to say about COVID. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. That is a remarkable statement. I'm not going to spend too long talking about it, but it's not up to you, Joe, whether a miracle is coming or not. For a person of faith like Joe Biden to definitively announce that no miracle is coming had to be quite a surprise to the big guy who runs our miracle department. If you want to say, look, we all hope and pray for a miracle, but we have to do our part and plan as if one isn't coming. And the president hasn't done that. I mean, okay, we can debate that that idea. But to definitively say there will be no miracles, that is way above your pay grade, Joe, just so you know. 
And this wasn't the only all-encompassing guarantee Biden threw out there. As president, I'll make you a promise. Okay. I'll protect America. I will defend us from every attack, every seen and unseen. Seen and always. Always? Without exception. Without every time. Every time. How can anyone take something like that seriously? No one can make that promise. You will defend us from every attack, seen or unseen, without exception? Again, even God doesn't promise that. Trump took a beating for saying, I alone can fix this. Biden is saying, I alone can stop all of the problems before they need to be fixed. I'm running short on time. Let me give you a couple of more uh, uh, short ones here from a speech last night, Joe Biden. Senator Kamala Harris. Yeah. She's a powerful voice oh, in this nation. She sure is. Her story is the American story. She knows about all the obstacles thrown in the way of so many in our country. Mm-hmm. Women, women, black women, black, women, black Americans, black Americans, South Asian Americans, South immigrants. Old. What about North Asian Americans? The left out and the no, left behind. They don't care. But yeah. she's overcome every obstacle she's ever faced. She's, oh, she's overcome every obstacle she's ever faced. I mean, not every obstacle, like you, for example. I mean, she lost to you. She literally didn't overcome the most recent obstacle she had to face. And I can't let him skate without a full and complete fact check of this claim. Listen. And speaking of President Obama, mm. a man I was honored to serve alongside mm-hmm. for eight years as vice president. <laughs> Let me take this moment to say something we don't say nearly enough. Okay. Thank you, Mr. President. You were a great president. No. No, he was not. He was terrible. As you will be if you win. Absolutely terrible. Joined now by Paul Kengor. He has a brand new book out this week, The Devil and Karl Marx, Communism's Long March of Death, Deception, and Infiltration. Paul, thanks for coming on the program. Yes, Stu, I knew you'd love a cheerful topic like that. (laughs) It's a nice way to get into the weekend. Uh, It is a fascinating topic, though, I will say, and you've really (laughs) gone deep into it. It's one of these interviews that, like, you can't, we can't do the whole uh, interview here because there's just too many words we'd have to bleep out. Uh, Karl Marx right. said so many things that can't even be broadcast today, yet he's uh, he skates from cancel culture, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And, and in fact, what, when I went through and I, and I was reading my own books, Stu, which I, I usually do that one time, mm-hmm. right? After the book is published, I go through and read it. You look for typos and and plus, it just, it just helps you kind of mentally to remember any, anything before everything before you do interviews. And I was reading through the section on his on his use of the N word and his his anti-Semitic statements. And I and I thought, Stu, I thought, man, maybe I should have abbreviated that, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have even used the full word, but but no, you need to because because that that's what the guy said and. It's really offensive. You don't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, that's how Marx talked. And I remember, you probably remember this, about a year ago, um, a a comment that uh, Ronald Reagan made a comment to Richard Nixon in a private phone conversation in 1972. And, And we're not totally sure what it meant. It seemed to be an insensitive statement. I wrote two articles on it for the American Spectator. 
completely out of character for Reagan. But liberals want to rename Reagan National Airport over this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But but with with if there was in Ronald Reagan's past, if there was in Donald Trump's past, one statement, one, like any of the statements that Marx made about about blacks and about Jews, they'd be toast. They they they'd be done. And and every professor with with a, a, a every professor with a bust of Marx in their office. I, I, why aren't students pounding on the door? Right outside saying, you know, Marx was a racist. Mm. Professor Smith is a racist. They're not. He's completely gotten away with it. Yeah. And it's interesting. When I first saw the title of of the piece, I thought to myself, it's a really good point because we're kind of pointing out um, the hypocrisy here in a way. Right. Like where the left is canceling all these, you know, contemporary figures. And and here's one that they praise. And and he said all these terrible things. But. The, th- the second part of it was, well, you know, it was a long time ago and people said all sorts of crazy things. But y- you you make a great point here in that they go all the way back to the founders. They're going back and canceling Columbus. They're going back and canceling yes. people from much that are much, much older, much, much further in the past than Marx. How do they get away with ignoring this stuff? Yeah. And by the way, I, I'm of the mind. I really don't want to cancel anybody. Yep. Right. But but if, if we're going to go down this road. Uh, I mean, you can't find statements like this by Stonewall Jackson. Mm. <laughs> I mean, not that not that I know of. OK, I could say this for sure. You can't find racially insensitive and nasty, rather vicious statements like this from Washington and Jefferson. I know you can't find statements like this about Jews from Washington and Jefferson and, and Columbus. And yet, you know, this collection from from Marx and, and also, too, it's not just, by the way, if you really wanted to get on Marx's hate list, right, mm-hmm. uh, it, you could find somebody who was who was black, uh, part, partly black and part Jewish. And some of those statements, right, uh, greasy Jew, little kike, he called this guy. Um, the well, I can't even say this on the air, can I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, we have to kind of dance around it because it's that offensive. I mean, the stuff that's in the article, and I, I think you're right to put the full stuff in there so it really has the impact. Yes. It's shocking to even see on a piece of paper anymore. It is, and, there, and there's one exchange with Marx and Engels. Keep in mind, right, Engels is the co-author of the Communist Manifesto, mm-hmm. and they're talking about Marx's son-in-law, who was who was applying for a job to work at a zoo, and and Engels jokes to Marx, well, being in his reality is that of a, here's the N word, mm-hmm. right? He says mm-hmm. he's really perfectly, uh, really perfectly suited for that position, zookeeper, right? He'd be perfect in a zoo, mm-hmm. and, and 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 these two guys were very strict Darwinian evolutionists. So they sized up the view, their view of black people according to cranial capacity, according to their facial features, their skulls. I mean, it's really offensive stuff. And, and you read some of what these guys said, some of what um, Mark said about Jews. You can put that up on your screen and say, who said this? Mm-hmm. Marx or Hitler? Yeah. Right. And, and, the, and the, the answer is Marx. By the way, the, that son-in-law. His name was Paul Lafargue. He was married to Marx's daughter, Laura. He's one of um, two Marx son-in-laws that entered into suicide pacts with Marx's daughters. Two of Marx's daughters committed suicide in suicide pacts with their husbands. 
one of the husbands uh, pulled out of the deal and injected her with poison and killed her, and then he didn't go through with it. But the other one did. The other one, his name was Paul Lafargue. He was partly Cuban. And so because of that, Mark said, ah, partly Cuban. That means that he's partly Negro. And Mark yeah. said that means that he has Negro blood in his veins. And so Marx called him Negrillo or the gorilla. This is what he said about his own son-in-law. Now, find me Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan referring to a son-in-law uh, you know, in, in that kind of language. And I should even mention Reagan. Reagan's squeaky clean on this stuff. But anybody in the cancel culture that the left is going after, um, you know, Margaret Sanger, she's, she's another example. Mm-hmm. They're, they're finally mm-hmm. starting to push back a little on Margaret Sanger, but her bust is still in the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. But but um, Karl Marx pretty much outdoes all of them. And if the KKK had been around, uh, you know, Marx would have probably joined Margaret Sanger at the Silver Lake, New Jersey women's chapter of the KKK in May 1926. Uh, speaking to the to the the guys and gals in the white hoods, it really is amazing, and it's 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 this bad. I mean, like I, you are not overstating this. Um, one of the things you get pushback on uh, with Marx in particular, when you say he's an anti-Semite, people will come back and they'll say, "Well, he was Jewish. What are you, what are you talking about? Right. He can't be an anti-Semite." Right. What do you say to people who bring that up? Yeah, and the term that Saul Padover uses, um, Saul was, um, I think, Jewish himself, and he did he did the original, really the seminal book on Marx and religion, I think it was 1974, and he published a number of different Marx letters on this, articles. Marx wrote an article called On the Jewish Question, and the way that he characterizes Jews, not just on an ethnic level, but a spiritual level, a religious level, Stu, uh, one quote is, quote, the Israelite faith is repulsive to me. The, Israel, the Israelite faith is repulsive to me. I don't know if you have the quote in front of you, but um, I could pull it up. But it's the one where he says, uh, what is the worldly God of the Jew? Yes. Money. Yeah. Haggling. Right? What is the worldly God? Money. Money is the jealous God of Israel before uh, whom no other God may exist. The bill of exchange is the actual God of the Jew. His God is only yeah. an illusory bill of exchange. I thought this was really, I mean, just disgusting and really highlighted it perfectly. He wrote, the emancipation of the Jews in the final analysis is the emancipation of mankind from Judaism. I mean, this, about you can't get any stronger than that. That's Hitler. That's yeah. Hitlerian, mm-hmm. right? Hitler's final solution, right? You can picture Hitler standing up there using those exact words. In fact, I bet if you dug deep enough, you'd find that maybe Hitler even plagiarized that line at some point, right? Uh, you know, the, the the final solution, the answer is the emancipation of the world from Jews, right? That that's that that's Marx. That that's that's what Marx actually said. He was uh, he he came from a family stew of 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 rabbis of of orthodox rabbis. Mm. I was talking to Dennis Prager about this earlier in the week. That Dennis has done quite a bit of reading on this background. He said, "Oh yeah, they were orthodox, right? They were they were they were serious, faithful, religious Jews." And Marx's father left the faith, and the father became became Lutheran. Marx was baptized by the time Marx was about five years old, 1823, 1824. And then Marx left the faith in college. And one of the people that let him out of the faith was his one of his earliest partners, Bruno Bauer, who was intensely anti-Semitic. 
And he was a theology professor, an atheist theology professor, which, by the way, shows that you don't have to wait till like 21st century America to get universities where the theology professors are atheists. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> here, they, here they were in, in, in Germany in the, in, the, in the 1800s. But he was uh, with Saul Padover. He uses the German word. I can't pronounce it, but it's um, self-hating Jew is the, yeah. is the phrase that David Horowitz has also pointed this out quite, quite a bit. Um, we've got a couple more minutes here, Paul. Um, the book isn't just about this, though, right? I mean, can you give me kind of a, 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 a scope of, of everything you're, you're able to go over in the new book? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Marx wrote about the devil. He wrote, he wrote poetry. He wrote plays about the devil. Hmm. And, and Marx fancied himself a poet. It's kind of interesting, Stu, like, like how Hitler really wanted to be um, a portrait painter, Right. Marx's real vocation, his real calling. He wanted to be a poet. And some of his writing about the devil, some of which Marx himself in the role of the of, of the devil is, quote, saying things like, quote, I shall howl gigantic curses at mankind. Um, Look at this blood sword. Who sold it to me? The Prince of Darkness sold it. to me. His play from his poem from 1837. It was it was called The Player. Um, I, I've, uh, my soul once tripped, my soul once chosen to God, I've forfeited to hell. I've forfeited to hell. And some of these, it's not clear if he's role-playing, if he's simply writing a poem, if it's autobiographical, but clearly some of it seems autobiographical. And I'm not the first to say that. I mean, this has been reported in, by biographers going back to people like the great Robert Payne, who wrote the book on Marx in 1968, and Payne was no man of the right. So this has been around for a while. That what's what's happened is this stuff has been completely forgotten, and it's been forgotten because, you know, to be blunt, left-wing liberal leftist professors and scholars and teachers at universities, when they teach about Marx, they don't teach about this stuff. Just like when they teach about Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger and abortion. None of them dare go to her 1938 memoirs, go to pages 366, 367, where Margaret Sanger for two pages writes about speaking to the Klan in May 1926. They ignore it. They ignore it. And so young people today don't even know about it. So if you were going to go on campus and then start a cancel Karl Marx campaign, right, the leftists would be like, well, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I know Columbus was was a racist mm-hmm. and Washington and Jefferson, but Marx was a good guy. He wanted to share wealth and help his fellow man and take money from rich people. So if you shared this with them, they, they'd be shocked. And yet a, a true Marx biographer, you, if you pin him down, he'll say, yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe I didn't talk about that much in my biography of Marx, but he said it. Mm-hmm. He said it. Well, Paul Kangar is always uh, willing to go to places where others aren't, and we really appreciate that from all of your stuff. Uh, his new book is called The Devil and Karl Marx, Communism's Long March of Death, Deception, and Infiltration. is available everywhere now. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks, Stu. You guys are great. Take right. care. Appreciate it. Back in a second. So why do you listen to this show? Why do you watch this show? Every once in a while I think about that. Why do you keep showing up here? And I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad you're here. But why are you here? 
You know, is it just for the fancy uh, AndrewCuomoIsAwful.com merchandise? The uh, senility now Joe Biden shirt, the Kamala, nah, Mala shirt. It's possible. That's part of it. But I think a good part of the reason is obviously, number one, graphs. You just can't get enough sexy graphs. But number two, I think it's that because I think if I was listening to the show, one of the things I would like about it is that uh, I, I, I'm here every day to tell you that whatever everyone is talking about is dumb. Most of the time it's just dumb. There are really stupid controversies we waste way too much time on. And I like to come on the air and tell you how dumb they are and tell you why they're dumb. You know they're dumb. I know they're dumb. Here's why they're dumb. Let me give you uh, the latest controversy of the day that's just dumb. The We're whole being told post that you're limiting overtime. Uh, Listen and to this. This uh, could this possibly add to backlogs. Are you, stupid are you limiting overtime or, or is that being suspended right now and people will work overtime if necessary to move the mail out efficiently every single day? Senator, I, we never eliminated overtime. Okay. That's, uh, it's been not, curtailed significantly, try again. I understand. It's been curtailed, right? It's not been curtailed by me or the leadership team here. Curtailed significantly. It's gone down. Significantly. Significantly, right? To seven, since I've been here, we've spent $700 million on overtime. Overtime runs at a 13% rate before I got here, and it runs at a 13% rate now. Hmm. I did not. Okay, so if you have a policy, you can submit that to me. I'd appreciate it. It's totally wrong on that first there attempt. There will be no post office closures or suspensions before November 3rd. I confirm post office closures was not a directive I gave. That, that's, that I gave. That was around before I got here. There's a process to that. Uh, when I found out about it uh, and it, it had the uh, reaction uh, that, that we did, uh, I, I've, I've suspended that. Okay, so the, after the no, election. second conspiracy theory well, down. Uh, well, we've heard about the sorters. You addressed that earlier. Sorters, Will you be okay. bringing back any mail sorting machines that have been removed uh, okay. since you've become Postmaster General? Will any of those come back? There's no intention to ah. do that. They're Aha. not needed, sir. Aha. You will not bring back any processors. They're not needed, sir. Oh, okay. Okay. The, um, I've got a, questions about independence and here. transparency. Uh, prior to implementing uh, the changes that you put forth in the postal system, did you discuss those changes or are there a potential impact on the November election with the president hmm. or anyone at the White I House? I you and did. Remind you, you're under oath. Mm-hmm. I have never spoken to the president about the Postal Service other oh. than to congratulate me when I accepted the position. <laughs> this went on and on and on. Hey, I've got a conspiracy theory I saw on Jamie Lee Curtis's Twitter account. Will you answer for it? This guy's like, I don't. This guy's not trying to manipulate the election through the mail. How stupid of a country are we? This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, well, let me give it. We're a country that will praise Andrew Cuomo for his appearance. And by the way, Andrew Cuomo is awful. Uh, group is rallied now outside of Manhattan uh, in a nursing home uh, calling for transparency on covid deaths. This is something we've talked about a lot here on the show. And I, this one is important. Unlike the freaking mail sorting thing going on. This is a real issue. Why don't we know the actual amount of people who have died in nursing homes? Because Andrew Cuomo is hiding it from us. There's a, a group here called Voices for Seniors. Um, and they uh, created a Facebook group after um, their mother had died in a Long Island nursing home trying to get the truth on this. Maybe we can get them on next week because it's important that people are, are, are actually getting the answers on this. Uh, and so far, it's been ignored by the media. We're gonna, we're, maybe we can get to the bottom of that a little bit uh, this week. By the way, Tulsi Gabbard, the only person uh, you didn't see at the stage of the DNC. Question is right now, will she be? At the stage for the RNC. That's the rumor. Now, I've, I don't think I've ever heard this anywhere else, but we've talked about it here several times. Tulsi Gabbard was actually vetted for a role 
in the Trump administration. So there was a familiarity there. And a lot of it has to do with Trump and her share a lot of the views on sort of a, uh, interventionist foreign policy. She's very hesitant. I mean, she's you know, she supports the troops. She was uh, in the military, of course. Um, and so does Donald Trump. But Trump does not want to get involved in anything if he doesn't have to. Tulsi's the same way. There was, there was rumors about, you know, some defense role uh, for Tulsi. And that may be something that you see here uh, next week. We'll keep an eye on that for you. Um, one other, uh, you might be interested in this one. 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes will be released in the Florida Keys. Now, the fact that there are 750 million mosquitoes of any type in the entire world makes me really disgusted. Uh, Crosses me out a little bit. But the fact that they're going to add 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes to the Florida Keys, I I mean, I don't know what that's doing for the real estate prices right now in the Florida Keys. Realestateagentsitrust.com. If you have to sell a a mosquito-filled house, they're the people people to call. They're the only ones that can do it. there, there are some complaints about this with all the urgent crises uh, following our uh, facing our nation in the state of Florida, the COVID-19 pandemic, racial injustice and climate change. That's only three out of four of Joe's list that we did earlier. Um, the administration has used tax dollars and government resources for a Jurassic Park experiment. <laughs> I think it's good. I mean, Jurassic Park worked out well. So this one probably will, too. What are they trying to do? Uh, it looks like they're trying to get rid of um, Zika and a bunch of other diseases. Uh, these these uh, genetically mutated uh, uh, mosquitoes will basically wind up killing off a bunch of mosquitoes, which, look, I don't support most genocides. OK, that's not me. You don't come to this show to get a guy who's going to be pro genocide unless it's snakes or mosquitoes. Either one of those I'm fine with. Uh, and finally, I want to show you this. This is uh, from uh, what is it? At Daring Podcast, uh, who made a deep fake of me. As Harrison Ford. Watch. This is so creepy. Can we show it again? I mean, this is incredible. Uh, Do we have the... uh, If you look closely, it's like me in the middle of the, the whole movie. This is... Here's what's terrifying about this. It's one thing for like some high-end production facility to be able to pull something like that off where you, you mash my face on, onto uh, Harrison Ford. You know, like you, you throw uh, Nicolas Cage and, and, and Tom Hanks and you, you mesh them for, like you've seen these videos. This is done by seemingly a listener of the show. Uh, and uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, it was that hard for him to do. He was able to do it with basic technology. I don't think he's like, he's not working for like Lucasfilm here. Uh, this is, it's going to be harder and harder for you to believe your eyes. Now, look, do I look like a prime Harrison Ford? Sure. That's just me though. Back in a second. Thank you for your reviews on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word on the show. This one comes in horrible, just horrible. The worst show out there. Stupid doesn't begin to describe it. I'm hoping that will beat the left enough for them to watch you. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. It's great. Whatever. Despite making perhaps the unforgivable comparison of Lord of the Rings to Michelle Obama, his show is pretty great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Stu is stupendous. Simply splendid. Alliteration aside. Amazing airing. Five freaking stars. Thanks. We'll see you next week.